Hello and welcome to Film School for Dad, Lockdown Edition, the podcast where we attempt to rectify Dad's lifetime squandered on serious pursuits and altruistic activities that somehow led him to overlook pretty much all of popular culture. I'm Harv. And I'm Dad. And announce the film, Dad. What are we watching? Um, Unforgiven. Yep, that's right. Let's do that. Unforgiven is a 1992 film starring Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman, and Morgan Freeman. Hopefully you've heard of some. Morgan Freeman, surely? Gene Hackman? Uh, Yes, I've heard of all of the above. There you go. Uh, It was written by David Webb Peoples, who I did not know the name of, but actually is of quite a good pedigree. He's an accomplished writer in his own right. Um, But it's very much a Clint Eastwood film. And uh, unless you've followed Clint Eastwood's more recent career, you might think that that means uh, something to do with him playing a tough guy or whatever, but it's, he actually uh, directed this film. Uh, He even did the score for the film. So his fingerprints are all over the thing. And if you think of Clint Eastwood, you probably think of what, Dirty Harry or something like that. Dirty Harry, Machismo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Are you, have you seen those or are you just know of them by reputation? I only know of them. I haven't, uh, I can't recall watching a Clint Eastwood movie. I'd be struggling. Um, I may have, but I can't remember. I'm almost certain you've watched Million Dollar Baby, which was the one with uh, the, uh, yes, the female boxer. Yes. Well, he directed that, and that was one of the early ones of his kind of foray into the more quiet sort of character study type stuff where he was moving away from his old Western tough guy stuff. I remember that one, yep. All right, cool. So while he's known for like these sort of gritty classic Westerns where he plays tough guys and whatever, Unforgiven also follows that same trope. So it's uh, one of the few movies that he made post his sort of um, acting only career that actually is still a Western and sort of in the genre that he is best known for. But it comes with a major twist. And it's not a narrative twist, but a twist in the very concept of a Western that was so significant that it kind of has been said to have destroyed the Western genre as we know it, as in it almost made it impossible for anyone to make a Western ever again. And the stats back it up. Apparently, despite the film being quite successful at the box office, there was a notable decline in Western films being put out by Hollywood after this. It basically dropped to zero over the next decade because no one could really make one after this. So in a way, it was... Clint Eastwood's swan song, is that the right term, to the Western, you know, his final okay. hurrah. So I don't want you to think that we're here to watch like a classic Western movie that's basically just people shooting each other and so on. It's a different type of film. Well, that's really that's really fascinating. You should be showing me this because for me, uh, Westerns are something um, I'm – I've only ever seen on Western-type shows on TV. Yeah. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched from start to finish a movie that would be called a Western. I certainly haven't watched it off TV. Most of the stuff I watched as a child would have been on black and white TV. 
would have been shows like Bonanza and Rawhide and um, going back a bit further, Hopalong Cassidy and Cisco Kid and that sort of stuff. The only one um, I ever saw actually at a drive-in was Blazing Saddles, which uh, I thought was hilarious, and Mel Brooks pretty much destroyed any um, straight concept I had of a Western in that. Yeah, well, it was a parody, so it made fun of all the tropes, correct, right? Correct, is... correct. And, and, yeah. but, but even long before that, Westerns were something I never took that seriously, okay? So um, you're telling me I'm about to watch a movie that destroys Westerns when they've actually never probably lived in my consciousness. Which is very true of me as well. I was never even remotely interested. I, I've, I know of Dirty Harry from seeing clips of, you know, Make My Day and all that kind of stuff, but I never had any interest in them at, at all. Um, I think I'd caught a few on television by mistake, like just switching channels or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but barely know anything about them. However, this this movie basically taught me everything I needed to know about Westerns okay. and kind of confirmed the fact that I probably should have just ignored them anyway. Like, I, I did go back and try and watch The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, you know, that spaghetti Western, which, which yeah. was it's such a yeah. weird genre because the Italian filmmakers started making American Westerns. And I don't know, it didn't do it for me. I, I watched, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes of it and turned it off, I think, and just, I, I just I, um, and I've just remembered in recent times, I have out of curiosity looked at a couple of Westerns on the classic old movies on, um, on pay TV. Um, I'm pretty sure right. I watched Gunfight at the OK Corral, I think it is. Okay, that's uh, a classic. I know the name. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it was just more out of curiosity than anything. I've never taken Westerns that seriously. That's the bottom line. It sounds like you haven't either. No, not really. Yeah. And it sounds like the ones you have seen are more the family-friendly version or comedic versions of, of Westerns. Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this one is definitely not a comedy. Um, it won four Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, it also picked up Best Supporting Actor for Gene Hackman. Uh, and it sits in the IMDb Top 250 at position 133, so the 133rd best movie of all time, according to the masses. And it's directly above the Marilyn Monroe classic, Some Like It Hot, uh -huh. and a few slots above The Great Escape. So you can see it's like the pedigree of the movie is quite... Well, Hi, well, I've well, seen well both of those. Mm, that's right. I, mm. I, that's why I picked them. I thought, yeah, there's a couple that Dad might have seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've often said that you dislike filmic violence, right? And this film does have some violence in it, so it's a little bit of a risk. But I think it's depicted with uh, purpose behind it, and it's far from a glamorous depiction. It's not for fun, right? It's 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 for to make serious points, and in fact. If you look at what's actually shot and what's shown on screen, it's very restrained in how much violence it shows. So I think, and that's done deliberately. The no, I, I think you should purpose. redefine me as disliking gratuitous violence or violence that is there for uh, dramatic effect. I love the Godfather movies, for example, and I can think of other movies. Obviously, a war movie has to have some violence in it. So violence in context doesn't trouble me. If I'm aware that movies have got a lot of violence in them, um, it makes it far less likely I'll watch them. Yes, that's right. So uh, for that reason, perhaps this isn't a movie that you would have necessarily picked out, which is, uh, yeah. I guess it fits the format. So uh, the idea being getting you to watch movies, you probably wouldn't have picked out on your own. So 
Um, and I'm hoping you really like it because, uh, you know, I think you're in exactly the same position as me starting this film, which is you don't know a lot about Westerns. You haven't seen a lot. It's, you're not a fan. You don't really care. You don't know who Clint Eastwood is as a director. I didn't back then. And really, you're just going to be open-minded. So I won't spoil it further by over-explaining yeah. it. But basically, um, I, you know, I'm pretty hopeful about this one. I'm excited for you to see it anyway, because, I, you know, I think it does a really good job of undoing what the Western is supposed to be, sort of uh, deconstructing it, if you will, or whatever. So it's not a, not a John Wayne-style uh, movie? No, but interestingly, Clint Eastwood plays technically a character that is kind of like a John Wayne. Okay. So, um, yeah, you'll see when you, I, I don't want to, don't no. want to say too much, you know, <laughs> but you'll see it, it, it explains itself really well. It's really well done. So I'm, I'm pretty keen to get into it. I think we've done enough of an intro. I don't know, probably any, any other thoughts before we just go straight into the movie? No, no, I'm, you've got me interested. Let's have a look at it. <laughs> Well, we just watched Unforgiven, a little disconnected or more disconnected than usual, but uh, but in sync somehow. We finished it about the same time. So over to you, Dad. What did you think of it? Oh, well, I'm, um, I'm a bit taken aback by it, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know whether to laugh or uh, or cry for a while. I never really got over him riding off into the sunset and leaving his kids at home for two weeks. I've got to admit that is one of the more disturbing parts of the movie, yeah. But I guess it's, it was supposed to be how things were back then or something. That's all I assumed, but I can't imagine it would have been. When you say things were back then, I mean, they appeared to be primary school age children. And all the pigs were dying and, and they were just left in the mess, yeah. So that worried me. Yeah, but um, but he, he certainly got his mojo back in the finish, didn't he? Well, he did, yeah. I mean, you could look at it as a a, a mojo reclaiming story, I suppose. <laughs> well, it is in a way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, clearly it was a brutal parody on the whole idea of running around shooting people. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd call it quite a parody. It wasn't, I mean, it had some levity to it, but I don't think it was comedic. No, but the whole thing was clearly meant to be over the top. If parody's not the right word, it wasn't wanting us to take the story too seriously, surely. Yeah, I think it was basically using the same tropes of a Western for the story. Yeah. But then injecting uh, elements of humanity and reality that that they would normally ignore to be more entertaining. Correct. Yeah. It was it was trying to have real humans running around doing what they do in westerns. That's right. Yeah. And uh, however, um, did a woman other than a whore speak a word in it? Hardly, I don't think. No. The idea of a town with just blokes in the pub and a whorehouse was just a bit unrealistic. I thought. Yeah, but that's got to be part of the trope, right? The saloon with the whores and all that that's stuff. That's why I called it a parody, because even though the people were shown with human emotions, they weren't believable humans because of the situation. I can't imagine any town ever being set up like that. Well, I don't know. I wasn't there, you know, in the no, 1800s. No, it's not that long ago. No, I mean, it's not. And it's it's interesting to 
to think about what technology they had and what they didn't have. And well, they they appeared to only have guns and whips. Yeah, gu- guns and horses. Yeah, and, and leather and leather whips. goods. Yeah, as a horse lover myself, I found they humanized the humans. They didn't show any empathy with the horses. Well, ironically, the only person who did was one of the. Uh, was one of the guys who was who was trying to give his best one away, give his best yeah. horse away. He seemed to really like that horse, yeah. So, but he wasn't doing that out of the generosity of his heart. He was doing it out of sheer terror of of the man who told him he had to do it. Little bit, maybe, but he was he was trying to give away an extra horse that he wasn't required to. So, I think he was trying to alleviate his guilt there. I didn't take it that way. I took it simply that he was. Um, no, well, part of the injustice was that little Bill had mandated that they give the pimp or the owner of the saloon horses, but they never he never compensated the actual victim of the crime. No. And uh, no. and so the guy actually doing that, it was oh, in a way it was a nice gesture. Yeah, sorry, I, I missed that point. He was trying to give it directly to the victim. Okay, right. Yeah, and he withheld the best horse from the guy that he had to give horses to as well. So, In other words, that's the closest thing to morality in his personality was that. That's right. Yeah. And they rejected it, and probably rightly so. <laughs> yeah, right. But at the same time, I think it's a commentary, that moment is a commentary on the ambiguity of, of who's a villain and who's a hero. Absolutely. There was no hero in that movie. Possibly Morgan Freeman came out of it um, the closest. A martyr, at least. He, he's the only one that wasn't capable of pulling the trigger and, um, and uh, ended up becoming the martyr, as you say, yeah. So it's really, a, it's, a, it's a movie about three different experiences of trying to be a tough guy or an assassin or a killer or whatever it is. And there was only one genuine killer in the bunch, which is William Munley, the Clint Eastwood character. The the kid thought he could do it and then was so haunted by it immediately afterwards that he just retired. But I think that message, like it's something, when I was young and I used to write um, horror movies and, and not horror movies, horror stories, and I remember you saying to me, why do you keep writing horror and whatever? And I, my only real reason was because Stephen King wrote horror and that's what I knew, it's what I read, and that's really all I had the imagination to, to do in that phase as a young writer. But also it made me think, you know, what would it be like if uh, horror premises actually happened in real life? Like if you could portray that, you wouldn't need 100 deaths, you wouldn't even need 10 deaths, you would need one death that would be so tragic and and traumatizing to the audience if you could portray it realistically that that should be enough that you should be able to do a story that just has the one death well, it can, and it's it so can horrible be, yeah absolutely i've actually got a like a an idea a, a movie idea where that's exactly the premise and i've i've been thinking about it for 10 years but one of the things when i saw unforgiven it occurred to me that it's kind of making the same point even though it has more people die in it obviously but it's sort of making the same point that one death can be so traumatizing mm. that that's enough, you know, and that's what the story of the kid is, I think, where he he does one killing yeah. and immediately yeah. retires. Well, the most traumatizing crime in the movie wasn't a killing at all. It was the slashing of the woman at the start. The rest of it was unreal by comparison. Well, actually, I mean, there's a couple of other scenes that I find a bit disturbing. I mean, any time when someone's helpless and getting beaten up and kicked is pretty awful as exactly. well. Exactly. I would have put that second, exactly. Yeah, which happens a couple of times. 
especially when they're defenseless or they're not fighting back or whatever, which seems to be. Well, they spared us the second round of torturing of, of uh, Morgan Freeman. But, um... Yes, I guess they didn't need to because the idea that he was actually, uh, that he hadn't actually sort of participated in the same way as the others and was the one who took the, the punishment for the crime is uh, was outrageous enough. By chance, not that anyone could have possibly known. He went there with the intent, he just chickened out. You'd say it was an honest mistake. I mean, the friend of the guy that actually cut the prostitute wasn't particularly guilty either. I mean, he was just there. No. And guilty no. by association. Uh, he probably would have defended his friend and whatever, but no, it doesn't well, mean... he was shown as having redeeming features, as you say. He was yeah. also the one who came up with his best horse to give to the victim. So uh, can you see how this movie would have destroyed the Western? Oh, it, if the Western had existed in, in me, it probably would have destroyed the Western, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, the genre uh, in general, though. You can't destroy something that doesn't, uh, that doesn't exist. But absolutely, I can see it, and it's what it's intended to do. Yeah, I suppose so. I think I called it a swan song in the intro, which isn't quite correct because the swan song's the last thing you do before you die, the redeeming yeah. Yes, yeah. but it's it's before he destroyed the Western, so I suppose it's kind of appropriate, even though I don't really know my expressions very well. <laughs> but yeah, also, how can you tell, though, that that's the... Like, if you haven't seen one before, how can you tell other than that we'd sort of discussed it? As I said, I've seen plenty of TV shows that were, were based on life in the West and even the odd musical and uh, bits and pieces. I think I said I'd watch the uh, gunfight at the OK Corral not not long ago. Uh, when I was talking about it, not having watched them, I was more talking about when I was younger and when when they were popular and I never participated in that um, out of curiosity. I've looked at them once or twice in recent years. So I, 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 I know what happens in them. So, so you know the tropes. Yeah, I know the style of them, and they usually have a moral and all that. There, there wasn't really much of a moral in this. There was no attempt at a moral in this that I could see. It's very disturbing to think that the most powerful country in the world evolved from that sort of history. That has always disturbed me. It's, it's um, not helped by having watched that. Yeah, I know, but I, I mean, it's not like Australia has a stellar history either for colonisation coming in and, and slaughtering Aboriginals and stealing children and stuff. That's not the point. The, the, the point of that movie to me was that life in that town and in that setting was totally pointless. It started off with a point to it when he's there with his kids and everything that happened after that was pointless. Well, there's no reason for any of those people to be on the planet. No good reason. They're, they're just wild animals running around, beating each other up and shooting each other and, and drinking and whoring. You know, there's not much point to that sort of life. Who had a redeeming um, life purpose? The writer or? Well, the, the, the biographer, he was, that, that was a nice touch. Yeah, I enjoyed that, thinking of putting something like that in it. I love the way he happily moved from one subject <laughs> to the other mm. when he when he realised <laughs> he was a more colourful subject and in a position to provide eyewitness accounts. So I thought that was a lovely touch and uh, he was a good, yeah, I enjoyed his character. I didn't think he was portrayed as a particularly noble character, though, oh, in any way. Or, far from it, yeah. I mean, he was really delighting when he was witnessing the violence. He got really into it. <laughs> I took him as an absolute creep 
Frank. Yeah, yeah. Simply because he was writing about it doesn't make there any point to him doing it, though. So, so my, my, my point about the lifestyle of all the people in that, you know, I mean, there was no emphasis at all on the fact they were out there to raise cattle and feed America or anything like that. It was so, t- totally about um, a lifestyle that, that had no point to it. Yeah, I guess it doesn't have any point, does it? I don't know what the point would be in that town, that big whiskey town. I don't know why you'd be out there in the first place unless you wanted to run around like a, like a you know, wild man in the jungle. I suppose it's because that's where all the prostitutes were. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why they'd be there either. You know, uh, it'd be a hard place to get out of, though, by the look of it. Well, when you think of uh, Morgan Freeman's character, he actually said at one point. Have you ever gone to town? Yeah, yeah. And Will Munley says, I don't know. You sort of didn't know what he yeah, meant, but yeah. he's like, no, I mean, you know, go to town for the yeah, ladies. Yeah. So that must have been a known thing that that's where they were and that's why you go there. Well, that's really to my point that all town was was for that. Yeah, it seems the, like that's all. And whiskey. The bar, the billiards and the ladies, yeah. Yeah, that's right. There wasn't much billiards going on that no, I saw. I didn't see any, actually. <laughs> I don't think anyone was playing the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's interesting because I don't know how close that is to reality. I have no idea whether there were towns like that. Oh, well, I assume it's not, not close to reality. Those aspects are clearly highlighted to, to create the exact impression I got. The whole story is really uh, pointless. Uh, what well, what do people do now that so it's got such a point? I mean, I don't, I don't know what people well, are doing. Well, I'm sure there was a point. To, uh, uh, I'm not trying to make. I'm not trying to say there would have been no point to life in that town. I'm just saying that the life in that town, as depicted in that movie, had no point to it. There the, the must have been other women and and families and children and and cattle running around the ranches that. You know, and and industry going on, farming going on, but none of it was shown. Is my point. There were no townspeople as such, really. There was only one wife shown, which was Morgan Freeman's character's wife, who didn't speak. Yeah, but she wasn't in the town. She was no, she never went to the town. No. Yeah, she was at home. And out at the ranch, the, it was just the boys. There didn't seem to be any women anyway. So I I don't know. I just found that rather odd. But I can see the point of, you know, they were stripping it back to the most pointless aspects of life in, in the, out in the West. Or staying true to the, the, the tropes, I suppose. Basically saying that's how humans will behave if you put them far enough away to, to have no rules, regulations, laws, um, other than who's the toughest guy with a badge on who can walk around uh, with a whip, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure if life's that different anymore. It's much more complicated now. Oh, well, don't get onto that because uh, that's um, deeply philosophical, but uh, uh, life looks very different to me. <laughs> I can tell you to that. It looks different. I, I agree. But but if you if you take into account, uh, and this is a world that you're not in, so I'm not I'm not you know talking about anything that you have direct experience with, but you know what I'm talking about when I talk about like Twitter and social media and stuff. And a lot of that's just posturing and chest beating. I mean, you might as well be waving a gun around in a saloon. It's so nonsensical a lot of the time. It's got that tone to it. Yeah, it's got that ugly tone to it. Some of it. Yeah, it does. It feels the same. Yeah. <laughs> to me, anyway, when I witness it, I just feel 
as kind of it leaves a bad taste in the mouth the whole thing you know it's 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 a weird thing i suppose uh, there's something in humanity that's that's all you know that's about all the chest beating and stuff and you know it, whether or not it changes form or you know it maybe when the only tool you've got is a gun then you do it with a gun but when you've got twitter you do it with twitter well that's a interesting analogy but yeah i think it's getting off the point a bit put put it this way you know there was no twitter when that movie was made so there was no analogy intended when it was made 93 92 i think it was wasn't it 92 it probably is slightly yeah in australia it would have been it's pre-internet as a as common usage anyway yeah for in in homes for sure but it was in universities back then for sure because when i went to university that was it wouldn't have been front of mind for Clint Eastwood when he made the movie, I'm sure. However, you could go back and make that analogy now and that might be an interesting project for you. Yeah, imagine actually trying to make the movie, but it's on Twitter. So he's like, I was lucky in the tweeting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I was lucky with my hashtags. Yeah, I caused three people to suicide today. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I got seven people banned from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> It was a sick movie in that sense that the life it was depicting was a sick life. Yes, it certainly wasn't a celebration of, uh, you know, human potential or anything. Despite the beautiful rain and the fact that everything should have been, you know, going green, it still, uh, and the, there was a little bit of pretty, you know, photography, the, the, the couple of nice scenes. The start and the finish were nice, but there was a couple of in between too. I noticed the countryside looked attractive a lot of rain seemed to be going nowhere wasted well yeah it was i think again that's a trope of of all movies which is the weather mirrors the mood of the movie somehow so you know the storm happens to start just as he learns that his it wasn't just rain was it it was bucketing man but there was also thunder and you know whatever it was the the whole thing so you said that there's no moral but i think i think if if there was if you were to somehow find a moral in it the moral would be that violence is cyclical. So violence leads to trauma. Trauma leads to a lack of empathy. And lack of empathy leads to the capacity for further violence. Yeah, right? you so- could say that, but I think you're trying pretty hard to do that. When I said no moral, I meant not in the simplistic and trite way that, that you would see a moral in a, in a Western. It's not a fairy tale model. It is an observation of the cycles of violence that, that I think perpetuate and plague humanity in general, like you could very easily liken it to, and this would have been relevant back then, but you could easily liken it to uh, soldiers of war or whatever and the trauma that they face and then how broken they are when they return or try to return to normal life. Yeah, you could also take the moral, if you get off the grog, don't go back on it, couldn't you? I mean, that was really... You could. uh, I'm drinking whiskey right now, so (laughs) I'm starting to feel a little bit mean. That was really the key to him. He couldn't couldn't shoot the broadside of a barn unless he'd had a, had a, had a few whiskeys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the town was called Big Whiskey, but I'm just having yeah. a little one, so yeah. I should be safe. I'm not drinking straight, straight from the bottle yet. No, I, th- I think it is. I think it's deliberately an observation of the psychological cost of violence and not just, not just inflicting it, but also just witnessing it. The dehumanising effect of violence, you could say. Yeah, I don't know about the cost of it. I mean, violence was just endemic in that setting. So uh, there wasn't anything but violence, really. What I mean, though, is the cost to society, the the way violence begets violence. There was no society worth saving in that movie. So um, 
that's what I'm saying. So, Well, there was a little town with a barber store and stuff. It reminded <laughs> me a little bit of Ballarat back in the day, you know. But it's a depiction of a society where you have an increase in scarcity, right? So resources are harder to get, you know, food and whatever, shelter and all that, which also results in, in a society, uh, you know, a population that are living with heightened fear and stress, which also puts them in fight or flight mode, which means that they're more aggressive and, and more interested in either running away or attacking than they are in creating great art. Or And you're living in a regime run by a sadistic authoritarian bully who happened to wear a badge, you know. How great was Gene Hackman in oh, that role, though? Oh, you, you just beat me to it. I was about to say his his performance in that was uh, was clearly the outstanding acting performance. He was very very convincing. I thought the kid was a bit annoying. Morgan Freeman was just Morgan Freeman. Uh, Clint Eastwood was pretty much his own. Self. Well, he was he he was himself, but with a bit of uh, complexity. Really, he had to morph from his current character back to his old personality, and he did that well. But um, no, um, Gene Hackman was good. It was a bit like a sort of knock-em-down contest where, you know, you always knew it was going to be Eastwood against Hackman at the end. Yeah, the movie was always (laughs) going to give you that, even though, oddly, it's a commentary on the glorification of violence or whatever, but it also uh, it also does the business of whipping you up into hatred against a character and having the the other guy as the hero who's going to kick his ass. And it, it has that kind of visceral surge when that scene comes in and he just walks into the, yeah. the bar yeah. and you know he's going to do his thing and you go, yeah, yeah. Which kill a ball. <laughs> which was a total cliche, of course, intentionally. And I imagine that, that that sort of scene is a feature of most of them. The showdown between the two big um, big players. Well, I assume in Showdown in the OK Corral, which you said you saw, that there's a showdown in that somewhere. Well, uh, I know what a gunfight is, and that, that was just another version of it, really, uh, except it was an ambush on this occasion, yeah. Yeah, but it also, um, I think what wasn't typical was the dissection of it at the end with the writer where he sort of explained <laughs> how he did it. And yeah. and also he said, you know, you killed five people or whatever, and he was completely in awe about the five people, whereas I think in a Western it's like, you know, you kill 20 people and without without sort of taking a breath in between. So Yeah, oh, well, they were making fun of the kid for claiming to have killed five. Yeah, that's right. Uh, to us, they were making fun. He didn't realise they were making fun of it. But then it turned out he um, he wasn't up to it anyway. So what did you think when uh, little Bill says, I don't deserve to die like this? Did you feel like? Uh, a giggle, yeah. Yeah, I laughed too. I actually laughed out loud. I was like, yeah, you do, buddy. <laughs> you no, I, do. I laughed quite regularly in the, in that movie. That That's why I used the word parody at the start because – you know, I laugh too often for, for for the characters to have been grabbing me as real people. You yeah. Know, if they'd done that, um, I wouldn't have laughed as often. You're barracking against little Bill in the end. But yeah, no, I definitely did. Only because he's so grotesque. But you're not really barracking for anyone. You, you don't even really feel sorry for the, the victim of the original crime um, in, in, in any real way because her character's not developed at all. No, no, not really. I, I think you, you spend a bit of time with her. I, I felt connected with her a little bit in the scene where she's just talking to 
uh, Manali and and she shows respect that he honors his wife. That was nice. Yeah, it was nice, but it didn't didn't take you anywhere. Didn't tell you anything about her. It just showed that was her reaction. She had some moral character of some kind. Yeah, I don't know whether it was her moral character. It was more. It was more to me. I took it more to be with her wishing for another another life where where there were some um, moral rules. Maybe. Yeah. Her point was that. That that was rare. That that, that she someone would honor their wife because it was so rare. That's right. Yeah, mm. I wonder how she felt later on when she found out she'd be lied to about the wife still being alive. Well, she wasn't directly lied to, but no, she no, she, she was. He said she's back looking at, uh, she's back looking after the kids right now. But I took him to mean uh, she was looking over them. Right. He probably did have that double meaning in his head, which is a technicality, but he knew how she would interpret it. It finally explained to me why he was able to leave them in the first place. <laughs> well, yeah, then he's delusional and he's not getting father of the year anytime no, soon, is he? No, he thought, <laughs> he thought even though she was dead, she could look over them from from, from up above and letting someone uh, 25 miles down the road uh, um, Asking them to call in next week, I thought was, you know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> show, showed uh, a rather casual attitude to their well-being. Oh well, I mean, maybe kids were able to look after themselves back then, but I, I have no idea. I, I know I can't. I mean, like you leave me on a ranch with six pigs that are sick. Uh, I'm I'm dead within a couple of weeks. I mean, I've got plenty of fat stores, but once they're used up, I'm gone. That's that's the end of me. So. Anyway, uh, the, the bottom line is I suspect it's a movie I'll remember. Um, it's made an impression. That's good. We should probably mention briefly the music because it was Clint Eastwood music. Oh, well, I thought that it was very pleasant. Yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed Well, the, the, the main tune I, I found pleasant. It wasn't anything more than pleasant. It wasn't, uh, I'm not going to rush out and buy the record. The, the word I would use is functional, and I just... It was one of the flaws of the movie for me, which wasn't that I didn't like the tune. It's just so frequently in the movie that I just found it repetitive by the end. It was well, it it, it was. I didn't find it frequent. I think there was three or four times I noticed it. Obviously, um, the long version at the finish, so you can't count that. No, I didn't mind the ending and the and the bit at the start, but I felt that even over a few moments where it was inappropriate, that theme the. The sort of hopeful theme played, and I just didn't feel. But it's not the sort of theme you walk out whistling or anything like that. And uh, but it was pleasant too. It, it, you know, I thought it worked. It's not the sort of movie that you would need a lot of music in. Um, the, the, as I say, if you're not really triggering a lot of emotions in the audience, there's no point in having a lot of uh, attractive music. The other thing that really bothered me was they don't show the kids at the end, even though the text crawl yeah, tells yeah. you that the kids left with him, I still kind of just wanted to see that they were okay. Well, they basically might as well have said, and they all lived happily ever after. Do you think it's possible that he went into dry goods because of all that rain? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> he was like, I'll sell anything as long as it's not wet. I just I just want to get uh, no I more moisture. The, I missed the gag at the time, but you could be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's give it a score and uh Yeah, well it's a it's a hard one to score because it it's um clearly a unique type of movie. As I say, I think I'll find it memorable. I think it's something that 
will stay with me. If, if the intention, and you say it was, and I accept that it was, was to end the Western for all time, I think it did a good job of that. It certainly sent up the Western, you know, in, a, in an unfunny way, very effectively. So it probably did all it set out to do and, and um, was quite enjoyable to watch. So I, I don't know, something around the six or seven. All right. Which one? Six and a half? Well, I'll make it six. <laughs> I'll make it six. All right, cool. We'll give it a six then. I think if I was putting it on my scale, it'd be a bit higher. I think it's about an eight or something like that. It's, okay. It, yeah. It's it's a pretty, yeah. Well, for me, it was just, I hadn't seen a movie like that. So it was quite, um, and it, it was it was educating me both on what a Western was and what was wrong with it. I did a popcorn lobotomy video about that shootout scene and how clever it is the way it's shot and broke it down a little bit. I also sort of incorporated, I think, ideas from that movie in some of my popcorn lobotomy videos. So I know it was kind of formative for me. It's really weird. I probably wouldn't have told you that it was significant to me uh, back when I watched it. But then when I was thinking about movies to show you, it was one of the first ones that came up. Like it was in the original list. And I did lists you know, over a hundred movies, as I told you. So there was no shortage on the list, but it was still um, one of the very early ones that I thought of that I thought would be worth discussing. So, all right. Well, I really enjoyed watching it again. I actually wasn't sure I would because I've seen it a few times, like maybe 10. It might be my 10th time or something in that order. So I thought maybe it was too much, but um, yeah, I had fun. Did you have fun? All right. I I enjoyed it and uh, nice to know that we can um, go to film school in isolation. Absolutely. And with no risk of passing on any fatal diseases to those in the age demographic to which we shouldn't. Correct. No hand sanitizer <laughs> was used in the making of this movie. <laughs> That's but. right. Exactly. But a little bit of whiskey, you know, that I, yeah. I just sort of use that and use it for cologne as well. So, yeah. All right, Dad. Well, we'll cut it off there. And uh, yeah, let's do okay. another one. I mean, it's so much easier doing it this way. Maybe we could do another one soon. Okay. Thanks, Chris. We'll do another one shortly. Thank you.